Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. My name is Justin McKeldry. I'm the campus pastor at our Los Alamitos campus, and it is great being with you this morning. I want you to think of a time to start off here where you just knew you were made to do something. Where, where you thought in that moment that God created me just for this. Maybe you were in whatever your sport happens to be, you were in the zone, as they say, or maybe it's knitting or napping or going on vacation, whatever it is, but, or being a grandparent, but you have that moment and you're like, this is it. This is why God created me. It's a great memory, isn't it? And hopefully something at least came to mind for you in that. And if not, you want to be thinking about that. So I want you to hold that thought because we're going to get back to that in a minute, but I want to change gears for just a second. Um, to, to kind of introduce our series where we're headed. Now, whether it was a movie or a book or maybe a, even a sporting event, I think we can all recall a moment where we just stood back and said, wait a minute, I did not see that coming, right? Could be a surprise ending, an, an unlikely play or a random trade um, if you're a sports fan or an unthinkable conclusion that takes the storyline in a completely different direction. Well, I remember years ago, I think it was probably a decade or so now, of, of having that moment while I was studying, and the last verse of the book of Acts absolutely blew my mind. It says this, he lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, and then verse 31 is the last verse. He is Paul, by the way. says, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I thought, hmm. The word that stopped me there is without hindrance, unhindered, because he's under house arrest. I don't know, in my book, that counts as a hindrance. Um, just throwing it out there. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Paul's hindrances. He was beaten, he was whipped a few times, he was imprisoned other times, um, he was exposed to elements, shipwrecks, plural. Paul's been through it. Um, ancient rulers, they would, they would have a list of their accomplishments, their victories. I scaled this wall and conquered this city and, and did this and that. Paul has a different kind of brag list where Paul basically talks about all the times that he's gotten beat up. He talks about the times that are, to the appearance of others, failures. And so why did he do this? Why did he embrace these hindrances? Well, Paul knew, and that, that passage that I was pulling from all of his woes are from, is from 2 Corinthians 11, and in there he talks about that God's power is made perfect in weakness, and because of that he glories in his suffering. So Paul did more than embrace his hindrances, more than knowing about it, he lived it. Hindrances were opportunities for Paul. Now, I'm not going to belabor how, le- how hard this last year has been. It has been hard on everyone, and for some people, it's been absolutely devastating. And we've worked hard just to survive in many ways, both as people, as families, as workers, and certainly as a church. But God desires more for us than just surviving. Right? He's created us that we would thrive in him. And not only do that, um, but we truly thrive when we help others find a thriving relationship in him as well. And so the question to, that is raised then is how do we do this in these challenging times when we've got hindrances all around us? Because there's all kinds of obstacles we face. There's masks, there's physical distance, there's remote learning and working, there's unemployment, there's sickness, anger, and division. And yet I, I haven't received any revelation where God said, okay, that love your neighbor thing, you can take a break on that. 
You can stop loving me now. You can stop serving your world. I just haven't heard that. I haven't seen that anywhere. So we have some obstacles. We have some hindrances. But I contend that if Paul can look optimistically about God's good news, reaching the world unhindered while he's locked up, then we need to buckle down. We need to figure out how we can move from survival to engaging the world around us. And so we're going to go on a journey from now until Easter to look at how God's people have engaged um, from the beginning. We're going to start at the beginning today. In fact, we're going to look at the fact that we were created to engage today. And that's our title for this morning. And we're only going to scratch the surface today, but over the next seven weeks, we're going to see a bunch of stories, many from the Old Testament, of stories of engagement. And we're going to be on this journey that will help even the most hesitant of us be a little more intentional about engaging the world around us. And if each of us can take just a few steps... I'm not looking for one person to run a marathon while all of us watch, but if all of us can take a few steps forward, then we might just have a movement on our hands and see some tremendous, tremendous movement in our community. Just a few days ago, I finished uh, watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy with our children. Um, it took us a month, because they're long movies, right? And so it took us about a month or so to get through it in, in parts. Um, but often, it took longer because sometimes we would have to pause and say, who's that guy again? And then, you know, someone wouldn't remember it, so we'd go say, hey, remember back at the beginning? And, and we, we took some time to enjoy the story, even though we had to pause sometimes because the names are weird and, and none of us are that deep into it where we remember all the stuff off the top of our heads. So we had to remind ourselves of where this all started and how it all started. Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back to the beginning, but we're going to make a couple other stops along the way and kind of put this all together to get a big overview of what this is about, this whole engagement thing. And there's a central thought I want resonating in your head throughout this week and really something that will, um, I think, change how you view your world if you can incorporate it into your life. And it's this, you're in the right place at the right time. I want you to remember that, but I want you also to tell yourself that week as you start to ask God how he might have you engage your world and understand that you are in the right place at the right time. So we're going to get into that, but before we do that, I'd love for you to pray with me. So if you could stand, uh, you know, get off the couch there, stand up, stretch out, and, and pray with me, that would be wonderful. Let's do that. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, to worship you, to hear from your word, and to be transformed, Lord. We, we, we don't want to just put in time this morning. We want you to shape us to look a little bit more like Jesus because we've been here, because we've been with you, because we've been with each other, even if it's remotely. So we love you, Father. We look forward to what you're going to do. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us courage to follow through on what you teach us in your word and in our time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 1. I told you we'd go to the beginning. It should be page 1 of your Bibles. We'll be at the end of Genesis 1, so it might be page 2 for you. But we're going to take this from the top. And as we explore what it means that you're in the right place at the right time, it starts with the fact that you and I were created for this. We were created to engage. And we're going we're gonna to spend a, a minute looking at the creation of humankind and, and the first marching orders that we received as human beings. And it speaks to engagement with creation on every level. So let's give it a look. You should have found Genesis 1 by now. So here we go. <clears throat> this is the blueprint, friends. This lays out the rails upon which God intended a life of blessing to ride. And so we could spend a lot of time in this that would speak to some cultural confusion on multiple fronts here if we understood this correctly, but we're going to focus on the application to today's topic, which was we were created to engage, and you're in the right place 
at the right time. So first thing, we're created in God's image and likeness. We see this in the first part of verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There is this endless argument about what this means, but the idea on the most fundamental level is that we are God's representatives on earth. It was this, this idea of being in, in something's image was used of like officials and lieutenants who ruled in the absence of monarchs in the ancient Near East. So think of an ambassador or a governor who serves the king in a far off place while the king rules from the capital city. At the most basic level here, God created humanity to represent him on earth. And this isn't, what's amazing about this is this isn't just for the special people. That's how it would view, was viewed in most of the ancient Near East, was this was for the kings and, and the, the powerful people. No, this is for everyone. This is the blueprint for all of us moving forward. We were meant for this, to make something and to represent God in our world. And we represent him in contrast to the animals and the created world that we are intended to rule over. Look at the rest of verse 26. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now we see dominion in there and that seems a little ominous, doesn't it, right? Sounds like domination, which does not sound pleasant for the one being dominated, but it doesn't have to have that kind of connotation. The idea of it here is how a shepherd cares for his sheep. When you see a shepherd and you see sheep, there's no question who's in charge, hopefully, right? Or he's a really bad shepherd um, or quite a sheep. But either way, um, it's pretty clear who's in charge, but the shepherd, his dominion is not for his sake, it's for the sake of caring for the sheep. That's, that's how it works with creation and humanity. It is under our care. So we are God's representatives who are called and, and, and appointed by God to care for his world. And we keep going, we're going to see that restated again, and then we're also going to see that God calls us to fill it up, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So man and women are, are to be fruitful, they're to have babies, they're to multiply, awesome, and, and our staff is, is, we've got lots of babies coming, this is fantastic, right? Now if we keep reading, we see the... I don't, by the way, just to clarify. Um, so, but if we keep reading, we see the, uh, the concepts repeated, and then God pronounces, this is the way things are supposed to be. Verse 31, he said, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This summarizes all of creation, not just Adam and Eve, it is all good. This is the way it's supposed to function. This is the dream job. In fact, let's think of this for a moment like this is the dream job. We had a great interview. God gives us the job. Put aside that he created us. Just work with me here, all right? So God is calling us to a management level position in creation. We have a great team joined at the rib, all of that. Great benefits, great job to engage this amazing world that God has created to make something of it in fellowship with God. This is great. I mean, you, you can golf, golf with the boss whenever you want, whatever. It's, it's fantastic. It's all good with us, with God, creation. It, it couldn't be better. And, and it should stay like that. But if you skip a couple pages over, it's like Adam and Eve have just signed the paperwork. They're having a big feast. They're celebrating this event. And then one of them just decides, or both of them just decide to roll a grenade in the middle of the table. They just blow it all up. It's awful. That's the fall. Genesis 3, if you're not familiar with it, you can read that. We're going to skip it today. But the point is, is it ruins everything. 
It, it, it was devastating, and we're still dealing with the effects of that devastation. We are separated from God. Pastor Lorena just talked about that a moment ago. Creation, we are in conflict with creation. We're in conflict with each other, and we even wrestle and, and grapple with the mess that's inside of us within ourselves. Whereas work was to be fulfilling in Genesis, now, and, and we're supposed to make something of the world, now it's toil. Now it's backbreaking. It, it'll still happen. It's still part of our responsibility, but it's more laborious now. Whereas man and woman to work, were to work arm in arm to make something of the world and populate it, it will still happen, but now it's going to be difficult. There's tension, there's pain, there's conflict. Things in some way are what God intended, and in other ways, it's not the way it's supposed to be because of sin, because it broke it all. And worst of all, our relationship with God is broken in all of this. So now the mission is to make something of the world that's still there, to govern it faithfully, but now we add on this layer of reconnecting to God. A whole other layer has been added to this, and it's the most foundational piece, a relationship with God. That's our general direction that we're looking for when we talk about being created to engage. And you may be familiar with the biblical storyline where it goes from there. If not, we're going to hit some highlights over the next few weeks. But all forward movement comes as God's people engage with the world around them. Maybe some ways that we think small, maybe some ways that we think big. God determines that. We just engage when we have the opportunity. Now, it's critical that we understand that you're in the right place at the right time when we get to that engagement, that there is a place that God has for you that he purposefully placed you. And so to understand that, we're going to go to the other end of the Bible. Go to Acts 17. And go ahead and turn there um, to Acts 17, and I'll give you a little background as you're getting there as you're getting to the right place. But Paul is speaking with philosophers in Athens. The Apostle Paul, the one who was in jail when we started all this, right? And he's trying to point them to Jesus. And as he's walking through Athens, he sees statues to gods all over the place, including one to an unknown God. And so Paul seizes upon this, and he tells them, hey, that guy, that God you don't know, I know him, and actually he's a lot bigger than you think. He actually created everything. And then he tells them, not only did he do that, but he determines where and when we live. And the reason he does that is so that we can actually know the one who created everything. You're in the right place at the right time. How do I know? Because God put you there. It's right in the text. He does it for a specific person, purpose so that people might find him. So let me give it a read here, and you give it a listen, verses 24 to 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God wants to be found, but that explosion at the fall is that barrier. It's what makes it difficult, but he puts people who would believe in a position so they could believe. And so there's, this, 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 there's a way to look at this. First, from your perspective, if you're a Jesus follower... God put you in a place where you could hear about Jesus and trust him. Could have been right across the church, or right across the street from your house was a church and you just stumbled in there as a kid or as an adult. Could be that your family has generations of faith going back and you've, you've trusted as your family has helped build that faith in you. Could be that you used to live a long ways away, or maybe you do now because we're online. And, and, and a missionary came and told you about Jesus. Or if it isn't that, someone crossed cultures anyways. They, maybe they didn't come from far away, but someone told you, you have been in a place where 
the word was proclaimed to you and you were able to respond to it. And we praise God for that. But there's another angle from which to look at this. And that's of those who don't know Jesus. And, and, and they have been placed right where they are with the purpose that when they want to reach out for him, that they would find him. And guess how that's going to happen? He placed him next to you. He placed him next to me. You have been placed strategically for when people decide to reach out for God, when God does that work in their hearts, you are going to be someone's person that they reach out to. Now, I know what's happening. Some of you are so pumped right now, like, yes, I know, I know, I'm good. I'm ready for this. I know I'm placed and I can't wait for this. Others of you are freaking out. You are like, uh, um, you think now, okay, I'm gonna have to give some elevator speech on trusting Jesus um, and, and this is misery for me. Why are you doing this to me? Well, relax. I want you to relax. I don't, I don't want you to disengage. Because the reality is we do need to engage, but we need not be overwhelmed by this. See, the thing is, is we've got to be ready to engage because people won't consider Jesus. They won't think to reach out to us if Jesus' people are just holed up in their homes, shades down, arguing about stuff on social media. Just not going to happen, right? We need to engage, but engagement may not be everything you think it is. Our goal in this series is to help you understand and take some steps to make it happen. So we're going to have a systematic baby-stepped process for engagement. Some of you are ready at this. Some of you are, are amazing at this. Just keep doing what you're doing. But for others, we need a little help to make this bite-sized, and that's what we're going to do. And so I want to give you a vision with, for this with a historical example that you are in the right place at the right time. I don't want to give you whiplash, but we're going to go back to the middle of the Bibles now. Um, in fact, the only Bible book that doesn't mention God is the book of Esther. So go ahead and turn there, and yet it's going to teach us how we can engage in a meaningful way for God and be about what he's doing in the world. So there's a way to live the you're in the right place at the right time kind of life that fits the normal flow of life. Well, maybe not normal. Let's get to it. You'll understand here in a second, I think. This is going to be the briefest tour of the book of Esther ever, but I think you'll get the point and realize that this isn't just true of her, but it's true of each of us, or it can be, that we are in the right place at the right time. So what's Esther's story? The king wanted a new queen. You'll have to read up for that, um, but when I say that, I do encourage you to read it because it is a fantastic short story that is, is brilliantly and beautifully written, um, and it's millennia old. Amazing. So the king wants a new queen, and he rounds up all the available bachelorettes in the kingdom. Sounds familiar, right? And Esther is beautiful and smart, and so she wins the rose as the new queen. Now, no one knows that she's Jewish at this point. And there's this foul character, one of the king's advisors, who hates the Jewish people, and he is set out to destroy all of them. Esther has an uncle. His name is Mordecai. He catches wind of the plot and he says, Esther, you're the queen. You need, you need to intervene here. Now, as you can surmise from the king getting rid of one queen and deciding to pick another, this isn't exactly the model couple kind of relationship that the king and queen of Persia have at this point. It's not like Ricky and Lucy or Wanda and Vision or whoever the, the ideal couple might be these days. It's, it's not a normal situation. So the queen couldn't just show up unannounced. And she hadn't seen the king for a while. He hadn't uh, sought out her company at all. So she realizes that if she goes and talks to the king and he doesn't want to see her, she could be killed. No big deal, right? You can see why he would run through queens um, here. But Esther's intervention for her people seems like the clearest way for God's people to be saved. But she's scared 
to engage the king and to get this worked out. So she visits her uncle. She's actually sending some message back and forth to her uncle. And he says, I totally understand. We'll figure it out. No, he doesn't do that at all. Listen to how he challenges her. He puts her on the spot. Listen to this, verses 12 to 14 of Esther chapter 4. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Basically, the king hasn't wanted to see me for a while, so I'm not sure about this. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, you're in the right place at the right time. This is not a mistake that you're there, Esther. And I love what Mordecai says because he tells Esther she's strategically placed. But by the way, if you don't step up, guess what? God will still get it done. And so she is invited and we are invited to seize the opportunities that are laid out before us. But God isn't dependent on us. We have this amazing opportunity to be, opportunity to be brought into something amazing, to be part of God's plan, be part of God's mission. Why wouldn't we step into that? Our stage may be smaller, but we're invited just the same. I'll let you keep reading, see how the story plays out, but it is well worth your time. So we are created to engage. And you're in the right place at the right time. But what does this look like, assuming we're not debating philosophers in Athens or beauty queen in Persia, right? Which is, I think, most of us. Um, So I'm glad you asked. First thing, we need to understand what we mean by engagement. Because I've said that a lot and I haven't defined it yet. And you're thinking, does that word mean what you think it means, right? So at a staff level, this has taken on technical meaning for us as a staff. And we have three levels of connection that we're working hard as a staff to help us stay connected as a congregation during this challenging time. The first level of this is contacting, right? And this includes one-way communication. This is the text, hey, I'm praying for you. Or you're going to watch the game today or who you you think is going to win. Or some notation of any sort that you're thinking of someone and it opens the door to further communication. Simple, easy. The next level is interaction. Contact turns into interaction once you get a response. You don't even have to do anything for interaction because you started the contact and now the communication is two-way. Thanks for praying for me. I got the chiefs. How about you? That kind of thing. Now you've had an interaction because it's a two-way contact. That's great. But the final level, what we really want to see as much as possible is engagement. Whether it's a lengthy text thread, I've had some very serious lengthy text threads, or an actual phone call, and sometimes even visits, even in these times, because the situations were serious, where people are really struggling, or really happy, but you're, you're engaged. I'm really frustrated with my parents right now. Would you pray that we figure out how to coexist in COVID? The conversation has moved from being about the weather to dealing with stormy weather, or the joys of good things, good or bad we're going deeper in our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. Contact, interact, engage. And you just start the process by connecting, contacting, and then you go deeper and you bless people as you continue to reach out and show genuine care for them. Now, some of you are dying right now. I know, I'm an introvert. I'm dying with you. And I know you feel betrayed now that I've admitted that I'm an introvert too. But don't yet. 
I want you to stick with me because you're thinking, if you're, if you're an extrovert, you're fine and, and you're you and whatever, um, but this is your thing. But for those of us who are swimming upstream on this, you might be thinking, I don't have any idea who I'm going to talk to and I'm tired of talking to my family and they're tired of me, right? That might be where you are. So, but don't give up hope yet because remember, you're in the right place at the right time. And so that's a big statement I've been throwing out all morning, but let's think about it. There, are, there might be some here who God is calling you to pack your bags, like God called the weavers um, a while back to go do that and, and go to the ends of the earth. And we celebrate that. That is the greatest thing ever. But that's not for all of us. For all of us, you're at the right place at the right time right now. And God has called you to make a difference right where you are. What we need to do now, if that's us, is we need to name that place and then own that place where we're going to engage our world. So here's what I want you to do on your, um, take some notes um, somewhere and hopefully you've got a piece of paper or something and if not, um, put it on your phone or something. But um, I want you to make a list of at least one name, maybe two, or at least hopefully multiples in each of these areas of your life that um, God might be challenging you to contact. So these are kind of different spheres of influence we have and I want you to think about these. First is family. <clears throat> and, and probably not the people you're living in the house with because you see them fairly regularly, but, uh, but maybe beyond that. And write down a couple names of people that, that may need your contact. Maybe they may you not even need it. Just, just make some names. Next is workplace. Even if it's digital, write down some of the people that you interact with at work. Factory is the terminology used there because alliteration and all, right? Next is friends, even if it's social media. Friends, who, who are your friends that you need to, to contact? Hobbies, such as they are these days, connect with those as well. Church, particularly as we're, as we're a little more dispersed, think about who you haven't seen or heard from for a while and see if they're still checked in. And then neighbors, literal people in your literal neighborhood. Now what I want to do is I want to give you a minute, a real seemingly eternal minute if you don't do this, um, to think through and write a couple names on each of those. And the more you write, the less painful that's going to be. So um, if you could th- throw that slide back up, then that way you can keep thinking through that. And I'm going to give you a minute. i got a countdown clock. So I'm going to look at the countdown clock and uh, take some time. Write it out. This is your classwork before you get your homework. All right, that's close enough to a minute because it's killing me too. That was, your, that was your classwork. So now I've got some homework for you. I want you to contact two of those folks this week. You can blow their minds and actually mail them a letter through the mail. That's great. Send them a text or an email. Do a good deed. Do something nice. Just make a movement towards contacting them. And it can be a really small one, but move towards them. That's it. We'll build on this in the weeks to come, but you got to start somewhere. So let's start here. Contact two people that you don't normally contact during a regular week. Just two. Could be that fence you need to mend uh, with that friend of a different political persuasion or, or now that the election's over or whatever. But who do you not usually engage with? And just contact them this week and see what happens. See what God does. Two contacts. Just do your part and see how that responds. Because here's the thing. You were made for this. Way back in creation, God put the rails down. And, he, and then he called you from Acts into this particular place in this particular time. And like we heard from Esther, who knows for such a time as this that you were brought into this place. You're at the right place at the right time. And as we close our time, we want to remember that Jesus came at a time and a place appointed by God where he was crucified, where he paid for your sin and mine. He died in our place. This is why we regularly celebrate communion 
And we're going to do that in just a minute. But I want to challenge you to reflect before we take the elements. To remember and recall that Jesus went first, that he came to us. We were dead to him. Pastor Lorena made that clear. Separated from him. He took the initiative. That's what we're talking about here for us today. And the cost was high so that we could have a relationship with him. That we might be his children. And so we want to rejoice in this. We want to let it, to let it motivate us in terms of how we engage the world around us. And that we want to live unhindered reaching out one contact at a time. So use this time to ponder. Use this time to repent of any sin that maybe has you hung up and is hindering you from embracing God's call on your life. Maybe it's just a time to give thanks and rejoice in how good God has been. And then in a minute, one of our elders, Jim Passmore, is going to lead us in receiving the elements. But enjoy this time of reflection.